0: Hi, everybody. Uh, With that, uh, without any further ado, uh, let's go into the time of the word. Uh, Let me read the passage for us. Uh, We are uh, in chapter 4. Today, we're starting chapter 4. We're going to continue on in the chapter for a couple more weeks. Um, But yeah, God's been really good to us through this book so far. So look with me. To Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. I'll read it for us and I'll pray and we'll go right into the sermon. Ephesians 4 1 through 6. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness That is God's word. The spider has with me uh, one more time, and I'll pray for us. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, thank you that you are alive. Um, you are a living God. And your word is a living and active, searching our hearts and uh, reviving our hearts uh, and uh, being the mirror for our souls, so we can see and know what's right in our lives uh, and not be swayed by uh, the false things and teachings of the world. So Lord, uh, help us to be attentive to your word, and especially as we learn more about um, the church uh, next few weeks, may you bless this time. As you love this church, this is your church, and may you build it up uh, by your grace. But uh, Lord, I do thank you for this time and the people that are here, uh, as well as those who might be joining us through live stream. Uh, God, I I know that many of them are joining us uh, tired and um, exhausted from uh, their weeks. Uh, May you be their shepherd and lead them to green pastures, uh, even through this time, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title for this sermon is The Building of Christ's Body, and the three points, as usual, uh, those are each person, uh, between persons, and the goal of the body. Uh, we'll basically learn about what each person uh, is going to be playing in the church, and then um, you know the implications for interpersonal relationships, and then the goal of the church. Uh, that's the structure for discernment. Um, Excuse me just a second. Let me... Uh, Drink some water, so I don't have to interrupt um, our, our talk together. So, uh, Verse 1 and the par- first part of verse 2, it says, I, Paul, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. Just to explain uh, the, the word uh, a prisoner, Uh, It's a recap from last week, Uh, if you are here, in chapter 3, when we looked at it. We saw that Paul is currently in prison, uh, not because he was rejected by God, as some people assumed, but the exact opposite. We saw that he's suffering right now because he's being being faithful as an apostle for the Gentiles, and he's preaching fearlessly the gospel uh, despite the persecutions in the Gentile world. So now, as he has proved that he's the rightful apostle with authority from God, uh, he now urges, but, or better, he commands the Ephesian Gentiles to do something. And we'll look at that. And the command is simply this, that they walk. Uh, <clears throat> it's a biblical idiom, actually, uh, walking. Uh, it's, it means living out or conducting their lives in a certain way. And it says they are to walk in humility and gentleness. In other words, they are to, uh, you know, have and display a character that is virtuous or better Christ-like. So live virtuously, that's what Paul is saying here. And now if we just stop here, uh, you know, then Christianity would be just the same as all the other religions in the world, right? Because, you know, pretty much, if I had to simplify it, obviously, all religions in the world, uh, they, they say, be good for goodness sake. But that is totally different from Christianity. What fundamentally distinguishes Christianity from all other religions in the world is that being good Living a good life, living a virtuous life, uh, is a result of salvation. It's not means to gain salvation. That's why the word "therefore" in the verse is so important. So, what we'll to see? What the "therefore" is? Therefore, okay. And what that word "therefore" is signifying is that today's passage and the command that we just saw uh, is a conclusion of what has been said in the previous chapters. And if I to summarize the chapters, it's pretty convenient because Paul gives catchphrases uh, in this verse. So in the verse it says, the calling to which you have been called. For that, uh, follow with me. Uh, we have to go to verse uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, there it said this. Uh, Paul said, that you may know what is the hope, to which he has called you, right there, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. So what it's saying is that during those chapters, between chapter 1 and chapter 3, Paul explained that when the efficient Gentiles, Ephesian believers, you know, were helplessly severed from God when they're dead spiritually, that's what Paul says in chapter 2. God graciously, apart from, you know, their marriage or their works, he reached out, he called them, and he saved them from their sins. And they received it by faith, not by works. And now they have been adopted into a new family of God, the church. And now they're entitled to all glorious hope and reward of eternal life in the future. And it also says that in the present, while they wait, they have this power from God to overcome any of their sins. So you see, Paul is now, against that backdrop, Paul is saying, Paul is commanding them to live a good life, virtuous life, uh, following after you know, Christ, obviously. Because they have already been saved, that they have God's power now to grow in holiness. In other words, they are to live in in that way, the virtuous life, not because they need to earn God's acceptance or approval through their perfect, perfect life, but the opposite, because God has already accepted them through the perfect life of Jesus in them, justification. And and God also has provided them with his own power through the Holy Spirit. And that's how Christians live. Not to earn, but have already earned. There's freedom there. Um, You know, I haven't watched uh, the latest Spider-Man movie, the No Way Home, right? But I, I read it on Wikipedia, so I'm, I'm, I'm good. And I find it interesting from the Wikipedia page, assuming that they're telling the truth, uh, that they brought back the, the previous Spider-Mans, um, Tobey Maguire and... Uh, oops, oh, if you haven't seen it, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so they brought back uh, Tobey Maguire and uh, Andrew Garfield. And I realized my universe is Tobey Maguire. So I'll stick with them. But regardless which universe you identify with, or generation rather, uh, we all know the basic plot of Spider Man, right? You know, before that fateful spider bite, uh, you know, Peter Parker's life was honestly depressing. You know, he was a smart guy, but no matter how much he tried, you know, his uh, life didn't seem very significant and his works didn't seem worthwhile right he's always ignored and on and on but once the spider bit him uh, we all know you know that scene right you know like all of a sudden we see like he he wakes up from this this nap and you know he, he got this very toned muscles all over his body and so powerful he's like you know flying everywhere and all of that and he's got superpowers now so he's able to do anything and everything and then his uncle, Uncle Ben, in my universe, apparently in the new, new movie, it was Aunt, Aunt May. It's interesting, but so Uncle Ben said to Peter, he said the great line, right? With great power comes great responsibility. So what that means is, now that he has this power, he's able to do worthwhile things in his life, significant things. Uh, such as saving people's lives and helping the, you know, uh, the, uh, the poor and help, helping people who are in need. And he must continue to do so. That's his mission. Likewise, for believers, you know, God saved them also from hopeless, you know, uh, worthless life. And he gave them his very power to what? To live worthwhile life. To, to live a purposeful life. Uh, namely, living for God, eternal things, not earthly things. And being good uh, by imitating Christ's character. Worthwhile life now because of the power. And let me challenge us, you know, as, as we think about, you know, the reality that believers have. If we truly believe this reality that everything's already given to us, That when God looks at us, you know, we are justified, meaning we have, we are wearing Christ's righteousness so that no failure in our lives day to day can cancel our status. Just as Spider-Man genetically cannot go back to what he was before, we have been united with Christ. That's what the scripture says. No failure, no hiccups in our lives can ever cancel our status. We're secure. And again, power, we got the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we're able to live a life that counts. And we become more and more, um, you know, holy like Christ. And the promise the Bible says is as we rely on God's power every single day through the prayer, that's what what it means to rely on the power of the Spirit in our lives, constantly pray, And as you do that, as you overcome your failures along the way, the promise is that over time, God will fulfill the promise of making you perfect in the end. That's sanctification and glorification. God will do it so we can rest secure and keep going. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. It's a command that is freeing. That's the paradox of Christian life. So each person, that's what they're to do. And now we move on to the interpersonal aspect of this. Second point, between persons. Verse 2, the rest of the verse, is, verse 2 says, with patience, uh, bearing with one another in love. You know, now Paul seems to indicate that growing in Christ-likeness that we just talked about in the first point cannot be genuine if it's all in our heads, I think some people think like that. morality means just you know you just you know have cerebral uh, meditation and you know etc. But Paul's saying ah, no. If you don't act it out, then it may not be genuine. Uh, meaning, in order for your Christ-like character to be proven true and real, you have to practice it in relationships that are real, especially. In the church just think about this way i mean it's like it doesn't really mean much let's say you took the driver's ad and you studied the written portion of the exam we cannot really tell you that you're a good driver right Uh, it's only when you actually hit the road and show how you maneuver your car then we can you know say whether you're a good driver or not whether you'll pass the exam or not Likewise, when we say we are to be humble and gentle in the first verse uh, or or the first part of verse two, uh, you know, if we're just thinking that in our heads and not really showing the the fruits and proofs, how can you really tell that you are that moral? It's only when in, in real committed relationships, um, you know, when you show that, then it can be proven real. And that's why, as we saw earlier, that the calling that we got is not just individual salvation. You know, we also talked about how the Gentiles have been included into the family of God, the church, in a corporate body. Why? Because God wants us to practice the real uh, character that comes from the power of God. And I love how, uh, you know, the commentator I'm reading uh, for, for this passage. Uh, Steve Ball says uh, to define the words, uh, bearing with one another in Greek. Here's the definition that he gives. It says that the bearing with one another means is this. It means to patiently tolerate someone who is difficult or foolish. Let me repeat that. It means to patiently tolerate someone who is difficult or foolish kind of get the sense now. When Paul says, be humble and gentle, it's beyond cerebral thing. When you deal with, say, comfortable people like your, for like a better terms like clicks or whatever, people who tolerate you, it's easier to be gentle, easier to be whatever, moral, whatever. It's only when you're dealing with difficult people people who you are not familiar with, people who are who you feel uncomfortable with, when you deal with them, that's when whether you know, you're uh, humble and gentle or not will show. And that's one of the glorious purposes of the church. When we belong to the church, when we become members, and when we are committed people to the church, the true growth happens. Because you, you cannot just back out saying, oh, too difficult. No, no, no. we deal with it. That's what it means. And now, I don't know about you, but at this point, this has to sound hard. Relationships are hard. You have to deal with difficulties and difficult people. And, and I love it that Paul seems to try to help us out here by using these two words in the, the next portion of the verse. It says, You do all this, you know, be patient and bear with one another in what? In love. In love. That's his tip. He's saying that that's how you can love people. That's how you can, um, you know, bear with one another. That's through love. And let me explain. Love is not original to us, right? We cannot love naturally. We are, I don't know about you, I'm pretty selfish as, as, as far as I know. We cannot love the way God uh, wants us to love. So God shows us what true love is. So go to chapter two, verse four and five, four and five, uh, where Paul uses the, the very words "Agape, love." It says, "But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, the emphasis, repetition there, love that He loved us with, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is love. This is true love. The graceful love. When we are lost and we are enemies of God, God loved us unconditionally, apart from our merits or deservedness. He called us. He saved us into hope. So, when it says, you know, we're to bear other people in love. What that means is this. It's not that Paul is saying, hey, conjure up your strength and love them. No, he's saying, look to God and see how he loves you. And when you experience it yourself personally, when you know it, when you know what the love looks like in Jesus Christ, only then you can replicate the same kind of love to other people. Only then you can bear difficult people. It comes from God and your relationship with that true love. Um, you know, the other week uh, I was at Costco, uh, my second home. Um, it was a bit crowded that day for some reason and um, you know I was coming, out of uh, the this refrigerated area which you know where you find like fruits and vegetables you know and I was coming out of that and into the main you know storage area to continue my shopping Uh, and then uh, while I was trying to do that somehow I got boxed in you know I was you know blocked by a person with a cart in front of me and then another person behind me uh, that, that happens. But then this time it was a little, I guess, worse than usual. So we're pretty much blocking the whole entrance to that area. And then comes uh, uh, some couple of people uh, who are who are trying to get into that area that I just came out of. And and they're waiting for for a bit. And then they saw that you know we're not moving. It's it's really bad traffic at the time um and and you you could tell that they were very very uh, frustrated by the situation and then one of the guys uh stares right at me, and then uh he gives me this very bad look uh, and he rolled his eyes at me um and then a few seconds later, you know we were able to move out of that congestion and you know I, I got out of the way and uh let me just describe like like what I did I I came out but then I I literally just you know put my head down and I stopped there and uh, I just like waited because I was offended by the guy's you know stare and you know him rolling his eyes at me and a part of me uh, being really honest I I, I wanted to turn around and uh, go to him and tell him that it wasn't my fault that it it was happening and you know and you know I didn't appreciate his look uh, I wanted to tell him that. But after some time, you know, I, I looked up, and I literally just said, like, out loud, I don't know how loud I was, but I said, Lord, help me. <laughs> Lord, help me. And I, you know, walked forward, and um, I think for next 10 minutes, or so, I'm not trying to, like, spiritualize this, 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 this too much, but I think for 10 minutes, or so, I was just really wrestling my heart, because I was not happy. And I was just literally praying that God, Help me remember that I offend you too. Help me remember that when I sin, I'm rolling my eyes at you. And still you love me. Still you know my name. Still you see me. Still you give me all I need in my life. Help me to see that. Help me to know. Help me to feel loved by you right now. And praise God. He answered my prayer. And uh, I was really able to forgive him in my heart. And, you know, uh, the guy, uh, you know, that rolled his eyes at me, he, like, walked right by me for, you know, for whatever reason. And uh, I was even able to smile at him because I I realized, oh, I'm okay. I'm really okay. I think I can show something that God has just given me. Um, And then, you know, the whole thing ended and I went home. Uh, I'm sharing this story with you because I want to tell you that you and I, as part of the church, are in this together, in this journey. Um, Because, let me me explain. I I think to me, when I think about this experience at at Costco, uh, I think it's supposed to be a very easy experience. Easy because I don't have a relationship with them. I don't know the guy, and I don't even remember what he looks like, to be honest. And so perhaps therefore, I think it was easier for me to forgive him, because I won't see him anymore, right? But now, isn't it a lot harder when you have a relationship with somebody, and that person hurts you and offends you? It's a lot harder to forgive. It it cuts deep into the deeper part of your soul, and even, and, and it hurts. And it's a lot harder to forgive the person who hurt you like that, meaning that relationships in the church are supposed to be very, very hard because we are growing to be family of God. And what that means is there will be times when conflicts happen and it'll, it'll hurt. It's supposed to be very hard. And Paul is saying, knowing that background, he's saying, that's why you need God's power, to do the unthinkable of forgiving brothers and sisters who hurt you like that. i hear here to clarify just really quick. Forgiveness does not mean you condone or ignore the problem, by the way. I want to appropriate the Bible calls us to confront the people who are offending you um, and even involve the elders uh, to be involved um, in some cases. And then as you do that, you know, justice can be sought, or should be sought, and hopefully there has to be reconciliation, if possible, sometimes not possible. And, but then while you do that, though, what, what, what we're trying to say here is that the Bible still say, as you do all of that, as you seek justice or whatnot, in your heart, you are to forgive them and show kindness to them because that's what God did. God sought justice on the cross by seeing Jesus dead, for our sins, but he forgave us at the same time. Church relationship is supposed to be like that. And Paul is, you know, urging us, commanding us to deal with these problems. Don't hide it. Don't just run away. Don't just stay with your corner, in your corner. Um, you know, approach and show kindness that comes from Grace. And as I'm saying that, again, you and I are with me in this. And I have to say that, uh, I have to ask you, rather, to forgive me, you know, if I ever offend you uh, or sin against you in any way. Because uh, I know myself, I'm a very inadequate man. And I, 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 I can guarantee you that I would perhaps offend you or hopefully, God forbid, may hurt your feelings in, in some ways that are not edifying. And if that ever happens then I hope that you can come, come to me and we can talk about it and you know, repentance happens and reconciliation happens. I really wouldn't want any, anything unresolved between you and me. And same thing for between any one of us because we're a church. So may we examine our hearts whenever we interact with our brothers and sisters to see if, whether there's Christ-like love towards one another, and may we not avoid one another when conflicts happen. And that's what call, Paul is calling us to do as a church. And third and last, goal of the body. What's the goal of all this that, that Paul is about to address? The ultimate goal of you know, bearing one another in love. It's not just about you know, having some warm relationships. It, it goes beyond that. So look with me, verse 3, it says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So if we endeavor to love and forgive one another, you know there will be peace, that's what the bond of peace means there. There will be lack of hostility because of our love, and then that will lead us to unity. That's the progression there. I think here I want to point out that the important thing is that he says maintain the unity. He didn't say create unity in the church. Maintain means that the Holy Spirit already created unity in the church. Our job is maintain it. And, and the question is, what does that mean? Like, how and when did the Holy Spirit create this unity in the church? And to that, we turn in the next few verses. Verse 4, it says, there is one body and one spirit, uh, there, Paul is using a metaphor there, right? Uh, what, what he's saying is that for human body, for one person, there's one spirit and soul, right? That's, that's, that's what constitutes, according to the Bible, one person and personality. Just like that, now translating that to the church, church is called the body of Christ. And in that metaphor, there's only one body and the head is Christ Christ. And the body is the church and therefore just like the physical body there has to be one spirit which is the holy spirit so here's what paul means how uh, the holy spirit created unity in the church what happened was the holy spirit uh, you know according to the bible and also the chapters that we have been studying in this book uh, what at conversion when people believe in the gospel the holy spirit enters uh, individuals to convert them and give them faith and they believe and um, you know the conversion happens. and now mysteriously the Holy Spirit knits uh, all those believing hearts into one body and he also unites those hearts with the head, the whole uh, the, the Christ. So the believers are united with Christ as well as with one another. It's a mysterious thing it's a mystery but That's truth. And Paul is saying that is the church, meaning there's only one church, universal one, universal church. There's only one uh, local church that you belong to, Um, and there's only one body of Christ. And now, so in the following verses then, Paul's going to affirm this oneness of the church. And, And these are all in my mind, I'm pretty simple, so follow with me. And that's all he's trying to say, that there's only one church. So second part of verse 4, uh, he says, you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. I mean, we already saw the, the word calling, meaning that when God called us, he called us to the eternal hope, and this hope is the same for everybody, everyone that believes in the gospel. So there's only one hope. We already saw that, And then, verse 5, he says, One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Again, same thing, meaning that it's through your faith in one Lord Christ, what he has done on the cross. And baptism is the outward expression of your faith. Meaning, what Paul is saying is, all the believers have the same uh, foundational truth and doctrines to believe in, namely, what Christ has done on the cross. And that's, that's the common commonality between all the you know, Christian churches across the denominations. Uh, that's the one thing that unites all of us as, as Christians. And then verse 6, he, he ends it this way. He says, One God and Father of all, who is over all uh, and, and through all and in all. And again, same thing. There's one God the Father, you know, who is Father to all, all believers, whether you're Gentile or uh, Jews, and that God is over, through, and in all, which means he fills every corner of the church because, again, we, we learned this a few weeks ago that the church is the dwelling place of God. It's the holy temple. Again, Paul is saying there's one church because there's only one God, uh, one creator, and, and only one uh, way to be saved, that Every believer has in common. And before we move on, uh, let me I'll just make a quick comment about the doctrine of the Trinity because you, you see that there. You know, uh, when this passage is all about oneness, and but he uses the Holy Spirit uh, in verse four, and the Lord Jesus in verse five, and and God the Father in verse six, meaning that in Paul's mind, God is one triune one uh, that yet exists in three distinct. Divine persons in perfect harmony and unity. I think a helpful passage to mention uh, to explain that is Matthew 28 uh, 19, which is a baptism uh, proclamation. Uh, It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of of the Holy Spirit. Again, you see, there's only one baptism, and the reason there is that there's only one name. Did you catch that? It's not names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the name of these three persons, meaning there's only one God in three persons. Again, Paul is saying there's only one church because there's only one common uh, Lord uh, through whom we believe the same gospel. Let me use this illustration. I think use this before, but I think it illustrates the church unity beautifully, what Paul is saying here. Um, How many of you have been in part of uh, orchestra? Okay, all right, great, okay. So if you have been in orchestra, you probably know or know any variation of what I'm about to say, Uh, but the question is, do you know uh, how an orchestra tunes itself before they play. You can call it out. How do you tune? Okay. Okay. There you go. Um, With that, and also combining the Professor Kim's uh, comment, uh, oboe. Oboe is the instrument that um, they used to tune the whole instruments, right? So like, uh, oboe would play, I think especially uh, the note A, and then all the other instruments play A, and there goes the the tuned orchestra. And by the way, I think they, uh, apparently they use uh, oboe for that because it is the least, um, you know, uh, and I think that's a beautiful picture of the church, meaning that, uh, there's one common thing, like oboe, that rings out the common truth, namely the gospel, the word of God. And and what's interesting is we're not talking about uniformity, right? We're talking about unity, meaning that in the church, there's supposed to be diversity. We're supposed to be different from one another. We're supposed to be having different personalities and gifts and functions. But just like oboe tuning all the other instruments such as, you know, uh, brass and, you know, woodwinds and all these different sections. Uh, In the church, all these different personalities come together under the oneness, the one Lord, one gospel. And, And from there, you know, we make beautiful music, so to speak, together as we live out the gospel. And what I'm trying to say is this. What this means is, what Paul is saying is, that we are to live out the gospel. How? By bearing with one another. By, by what? By love that we receive from God. Changing our hearts. Experiencing the true love, 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 love of God towards me, towards you. And we replicate that to one another. Only when we do that we can truly uh, create the unity, or or, I'm sorry, uh, maintain the unity. We we talked about how Holy Spirit created it, and we maintain the unity. And that only happens when each one of us uh, proactively uh, seek that, apply the word, and try to live out uh, the gospel with one another. And to me, the application is this, that each one of us Whoever you are, if you call this your church, you are very precious. You are a very, very, very important part of this body, because it takes each one of us uh, to pursue uh, the, the gospel-centered Christ-like uh, bearing with one another. If you wouldn't do that, if you don't do that, then we really forget about this unity thing. It all starts from our each one of our hearts, really receiving the grace of God. So my hope and prayer is really this, that as we move forward, that we really belong to this church and take our part seriously and may God take the rest. Again, it's not about our success or failure. We receive God's grace. We will fail as a church for sure, but it is God's grace that's going to move us and heal us, and create something that the world longs to hear, like a music from great tuned orchestra. Let's pray together. I don't know about you, but um, something that a lot of celebrities. Uh, have been saying uh, perhaps past few decades is that especially those of them who grew up in the church uh, growing up uh, many of them started saying that um, I'm spiritual but not religious Um, whether you heard that or not I think that's something that um, you know uh, we we find very easily uh, from people Especially who those who have been hurt by the church, and that's a tough thing to deal with, right? I mean, I think as a as a pastor, I know, especially as somebody that have you know grown up in church, I know what they're talking about. There there are a lot of uh, pain, um, you know, in in the church in many ways, and a lot of ugly things too, and those are all real. But I think that uh, Paul, you know, who really wants us to uh, have the greatest joy in Christ, who wants what's best for us, reflecting God's heart for us, perhaps he's telling us to not give up, give up on the church, as the heart hurts and pain are real, there is redemption, God brings uh, beauty out of ashes, and uh, that's perhaps the story of many of our lives uh, in this room, in our church. Uh, if, If that can be true individually, I think God is big enough to heal corporately too. And the hope comes from not our own volition, our own resources, but the, the, the Bible, the, the the passage that we just looked at is saying it comes from God. He's our hope. The Holy Spirit in us it gives us strength. So can we pray right now? Just uh, let's cling on to God together. That He is our strength. He's our hope. Lord, help me to grow more like Christ and help me to uh, really display that that is genuine um, as I try to live it out in real relationships that are committed. Help me, Lord. Heal my heart first so I can heal others. Let's pray together and uh, we'll finish with a song and uh just as our salvation uh, for believers is secure i think as we just sang this song uh, the church is triumphant um just like perhaps individual salvation you know uh, in in this side of heaven uh, things look murky and uh, it looks like the gospel is failing looks like the kingdom is not advancing Uh, Look at the pandemic, Uh, it just, uh, you know, disrupted a lot of things uh, for the church and um, seemed like, you know, it was going down, Um, but what we see throughout history is the church always survived and thrived, especially through persecution and hard times. the Revelation the book of Revelation talks about how the church is triumphant in the end and that is our hope and again um, I think it's something that we need to uh, perhaps wrestle through and grieve even because of some of our experiences uh, with the church and um, you know just growing up or even you know recent times um, there could have been a lot of different doubts and um Questions. I think those are to rest and upon Him, nothing will fail. So let's pray together. Uh, I'll close for us, but let's just pray together for the church and even before that, for our own hearts too, that, that God would arise um, in our hearts and uh, give us hope uh, for church and for um, any relationships that need to be amended perhaps whatever it might be uh, may we just cry to god uh, independence because he has the power in us let's pray together Uh, heavenly father we uh, look to you Uh, you are the bedrock of this world our salvation apart from you we can do nothing Humble humble our hearts in that we will stop relying on our own devices. And we go up and down depending on how we do things or how things uh, appear on the outside. Uh, Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Open our eyes through your Holy Spirit. To see the reality that is beyond this world, and I do lift up those of us uh, who have been struggling with the topic of the church and um, the just various struggles that that only you know. Uh, I pray that you would heal their hearts, that you would uh, bring their hearts uh, you know, to your word, um, just as you keep saying in this book that you have called us into hope in fact in First Peter you said uh, we have living hope uh, may the, the same hope that we all share uh, heal and revive and awaken um, those hearts um, you know, who have been longing for your redemption during this time we entrust everything to you um, again apart from you we are nothing help us